So we've come to study this passage this morning. I want particularly to pay attention to the part where God gives us, or Christ gives us what we call the Great Commission. So really verses 16 to 20. But first of all, a question. Are you ready to serve? Just take a moment to think of your own situations. And are you ready to serve? This passage brings to a close the Gospel of Matthew. And we would expect often that someone's parting words are a time of, can be a time of sorrow. Particularly when it follows someone's death. But this passage gives a hope and a joy to our life, a purpose. It tells us the story of Christ's work goes on. It didn't stop with his death on the cross. It didn't stop with his resurrection from the grave. Nor did it stop with his parting words to his apostles. Rather, it gives clear instructions. We see in the start of the passage we read the distortion and the deceit that people tell to thwart the story of salvation. The lies that people tell to try and stop people coming to know the truth of salvation through Christ our Lord. We see the call to evangelize and to make sure the gospel message is spread to all people. And we see the command to do and teach all that Jesus has taught, taught them. And it finishes with a hope and a promise that Christ will be with us always until the end of the age. Not a time of sorrow, a time of regret, but a message of to go out and how we are to continue to tell the gospel message of salvation. The passage begins with lies and distortion that people tell to thwart a belief in Jesus Christ. And yet it culminates in a meeting with the risen Christ. That should be a real message of joy. And actually today we see that little has changed. Satan still battles to thwart folks' path to salvation. He still goes out of his way to try and separate us from God's love. And yet we see in Romans 8, Paul writes that if we accept Christ as our saviour, nothing can separate us from God. Nothing in this world or nothing in the realms outside of this world. Because God is a creator and he holds us tight in his grasp. Today we see the falsehoods of outright lies. We hear the stories that there's many ways to salvation. The way that you choose is not important. What is important is that you do it to the best of your ability. That you strive in whichever mindset that you have to fulfill that task. And I say that it's lies because Jesus is quite clear in John 14 that it is only one way to the Father. He states, I am the way and the truth 
and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So society can be tolerant of all different views. Society can try and tell us that all views are valid. That scripture is direct. And scripture is the word of God. tells us that there is only one way to the Father. And that is through Jesus Christ. And similarly we still see distortions of the gospel. Distortions that Paul himself wrote about in Galatians. If you think back to the, the book of Galatians, Paul confronts the false teachings of the Judaizers. Those who were saying, what Paul taught you was right. Today people say, well what the Bible says is right. But there's more. And the Judaizers wanted the new Christians in Galatia to follow all the rules of Judaism. All the rituals and all the acts. Jesus' death on the cross had put aside. And similarly today, people will say, yeah, the Bible is true. It teaches what you require to do. But then there's also the part that you need to do. There's the rules and rituals that you have to fulfill. Again, that's a distortion of the gospel. The gospel is clear that salvation comes through Christ alone, not by our acts or our rituals or anything that we can do to aid our salvation. It comes through Christ alone. So what do we think of when we read this passage? Does Jesus immediately direct his apostles to a life of evangelism? That that must be their one and only goal. To go out and preach the gospel. And reach people with Christ's message of salvation. Or are they directed to a life of teaching and instruction? That you get a small group together and then you just study everything that Jesus had taught us. And that is the way to salvation. Well, if you look at Mark 16 and verse 15 and 16, Mark records it as, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So here it would seem that certainly, along with the first sentence in Verse 18, the, the, the main purpose is evangelism. But I would say actually, no. And I'm not sitting in the fence, but it is both. It's about evangelism and spreading God's word. But it's also about teaching all that God or Jesus has commanded us. It's about teaching so that people grow in their faith and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that dual role, we all have a role to play. God has a purpose for each of us in spreading his word and in aiding new converts to grow. Aiding his church to a greater knowledge of him. The role is not often what we think that it is for ourselves. But it is what 
God has for us. We think back to reading some months ago about R.S. Sproul. And R.S. Sproul really wanted all his friends when he came to faith to, to know about the love of God and to know about salvation through Christ. So he had a desire to see his friends converted. So as a good evangelist, he went out and he organized meetings that his friends would attend. But what happened? None of his friends turned up. It wasn't that God did not wish his message spread. It wasn't that he didn't have a purpose for R.S.C. Sproul. But rather, he had a different role for Sproul to play. And we know that Sproul went on to be a great teacher of God's word. To aid people to grow in their faith and in their service of God. Sproul highlights what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, go therefore and make converts of as many people as possible. Rather, go and make disciples of all nations and teach them all that I have taught you. So it's more than just chalking up converts. It's not a numbers game. We're instructed to evangelize, to baptize, and to teach. So the path, but that even itself is not the starting point. The starting point for the apostles was in verse 16 and 17. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. The starting point was obedience. They were told to go and they went. Then it was in worship. It was in about preparing their hearts to be in a right relationship with God. To prepare their hearts to be in a right relationship with Jesus our Saviour. What is your starting point? Are you ready to obey God? Are you ready to serve him and to fulfill his purpose for you? And also see at the end that some doubted. It would be understandable that some would doubt. After all, think of what had happened in the past week. Jesus had entered Jerusalem like a hero. People were laying their cloaks and the palms down before his feet and the donkey as he rode into Jerusalem. Then we have Jesus' arrest. He's dragged off from the Garden of Gethsemane. He's put in trial. He's then crucified. He's dead and he's buried. And then his body goes missing. It's little wonder that many would doubt. After all, remember, the Jews had a view of the Messiah as one who would come as a great leader. One who would come and free their nation and restore it once more to its rightful place amongst the nations. It would throw off the caste of Roman rule. And this rule would not last for a lifetime 
but for all eternity. So their hopes had been dashed. Their saviour was in the grave. Their messiah was gone. Now they come to Galilee and he appears before them to give them instruction. It's little wonder that we doubt. We also see in verse 18 why the apostles should believe and why they should overcome their doubts. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority was now in the hands of Christ. He had the power to overcome death. He had been resurrected from the grave. And now we can share in that new life also. Jesus states his authority. And if we think about the idea of total authority, that's something that most of us would find terrifying in someone. If we think of humans who have been given sort of total authority. We think of Russia and we think of Putin, for example, in modern times. We think how it's corrupted them and the evils that pursue. But not so with Jesus Christ. Not so with our Lord. Spurgeon himself says, Oh, let him have all power. Let him do what he will with it. For he cannot will anything but that which is right and just and true and good. Because Jesus is our saviour and is the son of God, cannot go against his father's nature. He cannot go against his own nature as part of the Godhead. He can only do good even although he has all power. Because in God there is no evil. There is only goodness and love and justice. The Great Commission starts with obedience. It comes out of the disciples' worship and their acknowledging of him as their saviour. What about you? Are you prepared to show that obedience, to show that worship and praise that you recognise his place in your life and are you prepared to accept him as your saviour? Jesus now goes out to give it, go on to give the great commission, to give his commands of how he desires his disciples to spread his word. So the centre of God's Christ's commands is to make disciples of all nations. So the first step of that is most certainly evangelism. It's to go out and take his message to all the nations. To bring people to a live encounter with Jesus. It's not just about having the head knowledge. It's about having a live encounter. About knowing that it's not some romantic story that God gave us the gift of this child in a manger. It's not about this story of the great teachings and about the way we should live. But rather... As Christ grew in life and matured in years, he experienced all that we had experienced in life. He experienced grief, he experienced sorrow, he experienced joy, he experienced trials and temptations. But most of all, he stayed true 
through his father's commands. He stayed true to the scriptures. He was sinless. And because he was sinless, he was able to pay the price of our sin, something that we cannot do. He was able to pay the price. He was able to bear our sins upon the cross that we could have a new life. Our old life was put to death with him on the cross. And we share in his resurrection. We share salvation through him. And no longer is it a message just for the Jews, but for all people, for the people of all nations. No longer is a Gentile a bit player in God's plan. But now we have to take the message to all peoples. Previously in Matthew 10, 5-7, Jesus had sent out the twelve disciples. He'd sent them out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim the message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus' first message was to call the people of God, the Jews, back to himself. But they rejected him. They decided, well, we hear what you're saying, but no, no, you're not the type of Messiah that we want. You're not meeting the expectations that we have. Now, Jesus tells us to go and take the message to all peoples, to all nations, to all the corners of the earth. Christ's earthly ministry is complete, and he gives a final command to the apostles. Go and take my words to all people. Jesus' earthly ministry as Saviour has ended. He's borne our sins and we are redeemed if we have faith in him and him alone. When he returns, he will return as a judge and a king. But that message of salvation and Christ as our Saviour still has to be preached. And Jesus now passes the baton on to the apostles. Jesus passes on the baton to his church to fulfill today in his place. He passes that baton on to each of us. And we do it only through the gift of God, the knowledge of Christ as our Saviour, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And if the church today lacks an enthusiasm for evangelism, it's because it lacks a personal knowledge of Christ. It lacks a personal experience of salvation. People may have the head knowledge. People will do the things that they feel they need to do to ensure their salvation. But they don't have the heartfelt expectation. They don't have the experience of having come to accept Christ as their saviour on a personal basis. How can you clear, declare the wonders of God if you yourself have not experienced them? If you think of one of the early churchmen, Thomas Chalmers, his first years in ministry weren't exactly noteworthy. His first ministry 
was actually chosen by him more because of its closeness to St Andrew's where he could lecture on mathematics than it was about his desire to spread God's word to his community, to reach out to his church. But later, Chalmers writes, I am now most thoroughly of the opinion, and it is an opinion founded on experience, that on the system of do this and live, no peace and even no true and worthy obedience can ever be attained. So although he had taken up the ministry for his own ends, he realised that by doing certain rituals and certain practices, it still fell short of what was required for salvation. And after personal experience, Chammer states, it is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. When this belief enters the heart, joy and confidence enter along with it. We only know and experience our salvation when we take it into our hearts and have a personal relationship with Christ. It's not by learning by rote. It's not about studying fancy books and having great head knowledge. It's about knowing Christ personally as your saviour. In a previous life, I used to work in residential childcare. And often we would work with young folk who had been in secure units. These people knew, these young folk knew what was right and wrong. They were making certain choices for certain reasons. And when I went into secure units, you would see a remarkable change sometimes within them. And people would comment on how they seemed to be sort of obeying the rules, how they were learning to lead life and transforming themselves. And after a period of time, they would start to get leave and they would go home for the weekend and then hopefully for a week. Then through time, they would hopefully return home because people had seen a change in their lives. But often what happened was after a period of time of being back in their own communities, their behaviour started to drift back into their old ways. And it wasn't because of anything that was happening around them. It was because they hadn't internalised the rules and the learning. They had learned what was acceptable. They had learned how to comply to the rules. But now that the rules were removed from them, they went back to their old ways. Because they hadn't internalised it. They hadn't taken it into their hearts. And they hadn't actually changed in person. The change was evident in the life of Chalmers. When he accepted Christ into his heart, Christ as his saviour, his whole ministry was transformed. He still had an interest in mathematics and chemistry, but his desire was to preach Christ crucified. His desire was to preach Christ as the saviour to his congregation. His community changed, his church grew, and he was called to minister and even greater levels as he moved to Glasgow. 
So we need more than an academic knowledge. We need to transform ourselves and have a personal relationship with Christ. Without faith in Christ, we are not in communion with God because God cannot look upon us in our sin. Rather, it is only when we are clothed in Christ's righteousness, when we have a personal relationship and know him as our saviour, that we can come before God. Do you have a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ this morning? Or are you still just following the head knowledge that you've been taught? In verse 20, we see the second part of the commission. The apostles are instructed to teach all that Jesus has commanded them. So we went out, we've preached the word, but now we must also teach. And we need to go back to R.C. Sproul's story. The making disciples is not just about creating converts. It's not about forcing folk and browbeating them into faith in Christ, but bringing them to a personal experience of the risen Christ and assisting them to grow daily in their knowledge and in the likeness of Christ. Conversion, evangelism, is the starting point. It was seen from the story of the apostles themselves. The effectiveness in the, the role to serve God is in how they're transformed. We have Paul, if you think, who was a great persecutor of the church. He was looking to destroy the church. Then he has a road to Damascus moment. He comes to know Christ as a saviour. But then he has a time of reflection and a time of learning. In Galatians again, we, we learn how he withdraws into Arabia and spends time growing in his knowledge of Christ and his knowledge of God. Think of the apostles it didn't suddenly become the finished article the day that Christ called them. When he called Peter to leave his nets and become the fisher of men, Peter wasn't the finished article. Even on the night of his arrest, Peter wasn't the finished article. If you remember, he was quick to draw his sword and try and defend Christ. But Christ told him to put it away. That it was another route to go. As Christ is arrested and led off, we see he's not the finished article. Three times he denies even knowing Christ. Rather, the apostles all started as ordinary folk, just like you and I. But he taught them and he demonstrated by his example the life he would expect them to lead. He expected them to become servants. Christ himself took on the role of servant. He washed their feet in the night before he was crucified. And he became the servant who would take on our sins. All who would accept him as their saviour, he took on their sins. That we could have eternal life. So as we make disciples of Christ, as we become disciples of Christ, we have to take his message to all people 
and to take believers beyond making a simple decision to believe in Jesus Christ. Our role is not just to spread the gospel, but it's to develop a church, to help individuals grow in their knowledge, to, to make disciples. We need to create a culture where believers become pupils, where people want to learn more, where there is the opportunity to learn more. Learn of God's desires and ways for us to live. There's no point in having a faith in Christ and then saying, well, society says this is what is right, and society says that's what's right, and therefore that's how we should live. As followers of Christ, believers must learn that at times his teachings will go contrary to all that society now desires us to live by. Scripture teaches us that there is a right way to bring up our children. There is a right way to have a family. Scripture teaches us there are right ways and there are appropriate limits to our lives and how we should live them. We, as part of God's church, have a role in ensuring that new people come to that knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Saviour and of how they should live. You have to show that it's the Holy Spirit that transforms people. It's not by our good deeds that we come to salvation. It's not by our hard efforts that we transfer or transform our lives. It's only through Christ as our Saviour and the Holy Spirit that we come into full service of Christ. We all have a role to play in the Great Commission. So let's finish this morning by reading Mark 16, 15 and 16 again. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The starting point is here in our own communities. Reaching out to our friends and families, reaching out to our work colleagues and our local communities. That we share God's word of salvation with them. If we think of how the church grew, it began with them hiding away in an upper room, terrified. The leader had been taken from them, he had been crucified and he was buried. But that church of terrified men, that group of terrified men, spread God's message across the whole world. They started in Jerusalem, then Judea, then through Samaria, and across all the world. Our job is to start in our personal relationships, in our communities, in our nation, and the world. Whoever believes will be saved and those, unfortunately, who reject Christ, who reject, who reject the gospel, reject also the offer of salvation. They choose for themselves condemnation. It's not God who's condemning them in some unjust way. Our fallen nature 
causes us to turn our back on God. Our sinful nature causes us to reject him as our heavenly father and to accept, to reject Christ as our saviour. But we have a God who loves us, a God who has given us a saviour through Christ and a God who by his grace and his mercy has enabled his Holy Spirit to move our hearts and to call us back to him. Should that not be a driving force for all believers, for you and me, to go out and preach his word? Should that not be a driving force for us to ensure that we have a role to play in growing new Christians, growing, helping them grow in their knowledge of Christ as their saviour, to help them grow in the knowledge on how they should lead their lives? If you're still to decide for Christ, it's not too late. God's message is the same today as it was then. That all who come and believe in him will have eternal life. But there will come a time when Christ will return in glory as a judge and as a ruler. And when he returns as a judge, it will be too late to make a decision for Christ. Come now and know him as your saviour. And for those who are in faith in Christ already, I would urge you to see the role that you have to play in the urgent message that we must share with all humanity. We will share the message. Christ will bring salvation and the Holy Spirit will be the one who will move hearts.